All right, let's get started. So we left off yesterday um, when the question was raised, I believe by Yishai, the question was raised, uh, I don't remember the exact way that it was phrased, but that the fact that we meditate on these things and it has an objective change on the world as well, seemingly we don't experience that. We don't, we don't feel it, we don't see it, we don't... So what's the inion of doing it, of having these meditations, if we don't actually see the change in the world? So the truth is you could ask the same question about all mitzvahs. I mean, whenever we do a mitzvah, you put on tefillin, you, you, you eat matzah, you do any mitzvah, you don't actually see the change that's happening. You don't see th- that you're drawing down God's infinite being. You don't experience that, so to speak. So I mentioned yesterday, that's why Hasidus differentiates between joy and pleasure. It's a very important distinction between simcha and tainug. Tzadikim... There's actually a couple of responses, but the first one is to understand that tzaddikim experience tainuk. That's, that's the idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a tzaddik, that a tzaddik, when a tzaddik ha, does a mitzvah or meditates, etc., they experience actual pleasure. They experience actual pleasure because it's totally revealed to them what they're, what they're doing, what's happening, what's happening what, when they do a mitzvah, when they meditate, etc., but the rest of us, maybe it might be a little difficult, we don't experience pleasure, but we could still have the same simcha. And the mushal that's given, I mean, the mushal that's given in is a closed chest, like a chest uh, full of treasures, etc., that's locked and closed. And so even though you don't even experience what's in it, you could still have simcha. Well, let, let me give you a mushal, you know, that's a, a little more for us these days. If you were to put in front of a five-year-old child an ice cream sundae, and a check for a million dollars. Which would the child choose? Chances are the child would choose the ice cream sundae. And you're standing there as the parent and you're yelling, no, take the check, take the check, not the ice cream sundae, take the check. And the child's thinking to himself, well, what, what do you mean take the check? The check is a piece of paper. This ice cream sundae, I'm going to get pleasure from it. When you get the check, if let's say somebody were to give you a check for a million dollars, you wouldn't be feeling any pleasure. You don't yet have the jacuzzi you're going to buy from it, or the big house you're going to get from it. You don't have, so to speak, you don't necessarily have what you're going to get from the million dollars, right? You don't necessarily experience that pleasure of what the check is going to bring for you into your life. But certainly we all know we would be very much besimcha. We would be very happy if we got that check for a million dollars. Because it might be that you're not experiencing right now what's in it, but you, but you know what's in it. You know what this check for a million dollars is. You know what this check for a million dollars represents. And so even though it might be that right now you're not experiencing any pleasure from it, but you're certainly able to get joy from it. So the first thing to know is that when doing mitzvahs, what Chassidus explains, when doing mitzvahs, when meditating, it's not necessarily, we might not be able to get pleasure from it. But simcha, the simcha of knowing the closeness of God that comes from mitzvahs, that comes from these meditations, that simcha we could get. But we could go even deeper, even before we talk about the simcha. The truth is, we always want to feel a relationship with Hashem. And people are always like, how do I feel God in my life? How do I feel God in my life? And the answer is, it depends on you. It depends on how much you meditate about God. It's not going to happen automatically. There's no God pill. There's no God consciousness pill. So the truth is, it also really depends on how much we put in the meditation. 
to know that, that it, it might be that we're not experiencing it, so, so to speak, right now, but we certainly are able to have the joy from it, and that is what makes God closer to us. As we're learning, that's what brings God into our heart, by having that meditation about it. Yeah? But the truth is, if we go even deeper, I mean, what Hasidus would also say is that this is what our life is about. This is, you know, Kabbal Samachu Shemaim, accepting God as our king, means worshipping him, and the ultimate way to worship God is getting to know Him as much as possible. Through meditation, through the mitzvahs, through Torah, we might not necessarily be experiencing it in an open way, but that is what we came down here for. That's what our life is, you know, that's the most important part about our life. So it's important to know that not necessarily, you know, these, these meditations might not, you know, make you feel completely different. But these meditations are able to bring that simcha and that recognition and that internalization of what Hashem is all about. Yeah? This is what makes us feel closer to Hashem. What's going to make a person feel closer to Hashem if not by meditating? That is what does it. That's what brings it about. Yeah? Okay, let's read further inside. Um, let's, we're holding over here by... Oh, let's read the sentence again. Now, although the name Evan, although the word stone, we're saying that every single detail of reality is another speech of Hashem, that Hashem is talking that thing into existence, and every particular detail of reality is another way that God is contracting His light to bring that particular thing. But the question is that the ten utterances in the Torah, it doesn't say over there anywhere, anywhere it doesn't say the word Evan, it doesn't say the word stone. Right? So we read, now, although the name Evan Stone or all the different things in the world is not mentioned in the ten utterances recorded in the Torah, nevertheless, life force flows to the stone. How does Hashem's light reach every particular thing in the world like a rock, a stone? Through combinations and substitutions of the letters. The ten utterances are the general utterances, the general way that God reveals His light in ten ways, which of course corresponds to the ten sfirot, the ten ways God is manifesting. And then all those letters through combinations and substitutions of the letters which are transposed in the 231 gates, either in direct or reverse order as explained in the Sefi Yitzira. And we learned yesterday, Sefi Yitzira is like a manual for how to change reality. A manual, this is what's called Kabbalah Masit. We're learning Kabbalah Iyunit. We're learning aspects of mysticism. We're learning about them. The theory of them makes, like I said, trying to make God more closer to us, to our experience, having the simcha of having Hashem in our life. But Kabbalah Masit, which means practical Kabbalah, which means to actually change reality, that's what Seyfi Yitzir is, if, you, if you're able to penetrate to the secret of it. I mean, it, it's very, obviously, very... Uh, opaque, it's very hard to understand what Sefer Yitzir is talking about, but it is the key to the 22 letters, which are the combinations of which which make, about, which make up every single thing in reality. Until the combination of the name Evan descends from the ten utterances and is derived from them, and this is the life force of the stone. That's what brings about the life force of the stone, that the life force goes down through these combinations of letters, until every particular thing in the world is able to be brought into existence. And Salter continues, 
And so it is with all created things in the world. It's not every, every single thing that exists in the world. Their names in the holy tongue are the very letters of speech which descend degree by degree from the ten utterances recorded in the Torah by means of substitutions and transpositions of letters to the 231 gates, which I mentioned are 231 ways that the letters could be changed, could be transformed, could be substituted, etc. Until they reach and become invested in that particular created thing to give it life. Now, but why? So, so that's the, the, what's actually in Bereshah's Genesis chapter 1. Those are the general ten utterances. But every single thing that exists in the world gets life from those utterances as the letters are transposed, etc. But the question is why? Why did Hashem do it like that? So why did Hashem make it in a way that first there's the general ten utterances and then, you know, then there's the, 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 that the life force descends from them to every particular thing? So the Altarb explains this descent is necessary because individual creatures are not capable of receiving their life force directly from the ten utterances of the Torah. Most individual creatures can't get directly that life force. It's too much. It would be too much. It's like taking a toaster oven and plugging it into a power plant. If you you know you 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 can't you can't get that much revelation into if you try try to plug a toaster into a power plant you're going to become toast the whole thing is going to explode there has to be tzimtzumim there has to be this descent of vitality from the general ten utterances until it could finally become every created thing because individual creatures are not capable of receiving their life force directly from the ten utterances of the Torah it has to come through all these descents. For the life force issuing directly from them is far greater than the capacity of the individual creatures. They can receive the life force. The individual creatures can receive their life force. Now, don't forget, I'm just going to point out again, when we say life force, life force means God's light, means Hashem. And that's what the Baal Shem Dev is saying, that, that it's literally the, the life force is getting less and less, and they can receive their life force only when it descends and is progressively diminished degree by degree, by means of substitutions and transpositions of the letters, and by gematrias, the numerical values, until the life force can be condensed and enclosed and there can be brought forth from it a particular creature. So the Alter Rebbe is explaining that's why it doesn't say every particular creature actually in the Torah, because that would be too much of revelation of God's light. So the transposition of letters is that, so that in every particular thing that could be Hashem's light, the letters get substituted, etc. Now I want to, let's, let's just point something out, because something over here is unclear. Let's just ask a question for a second. What's the Alter Rebbe? What was the Alter Rebbe's question? The Alter Rebbe's question was, why, how could it be, that rocks exist, or how could it be that every particular thing in the world exists if it's not written in the ten utterances in the Torah? The ten utterances just says, let there be, you know, it does let there be a firmament, let there be living creatures. And the author was saying it doesn't say rock in the Torah, it doesn't say rock in the ten utterances in the Torah, it doesn't say every particular thing, it's not actually written over there in the ten utterances. But let me ask you a question. This idea that we're learning over here the Baal, is the Baal Shem Tov's teaching, the Baal Shem Tov's Yisoyed of Yehuda Tata, to be able to understand God's unity. But the problem is, 
the Baal Shem Tov wasn't Mechadesh. The Baal Shem Tov didn't come to the world to say that God created the world. Without the Baal Shem Tov, let's say without the Baal Shem Tov, you could ask the same question. Without the Baal Shem Tov, who created rocks? Of course Hashem created rocks. Ah, it doesn't say rocks in the ten utterances in the Torah. Why is this only a question that the Alter is asking on the Baal Shem Tov? Seemingly, you could ask the same question even without the Baal Shem Tov's teaching. You could ask that there are just these ten general utterances in the Torah. It doesn't say anywhere, let there be a rock. Do you understand what I'm asking? Why is it only a question on the Baal Shem Tov? Seemingly, we, the Baal Shem Tov didn't make up that God created every particular thing in the world. And Salter is saying that the Sefi Yetzirah, that the, the ten utterances are just general, and then the life force has to descend, etc. Why is that only now? In other words, it's only, it seems to be saying, he's saying because of what the Baal Shem Tov taught. So you'll ask a question, I, it doesn't say rock in the Torah. It doesn't say every particular thing that exists in the Torah. Why is that only a question according to the Baal Shem Tov? Seemingly, ha- Hashem created the world. We knew that without the Baal Shem Tov. Everybody knows that. Everybody believes that. And yet the Alter Rebbe seems to be saying that now only according to the Baal Shem Tov it's a question. Am I making myself clear what, the, what I'm asking over here? And the answer is, because that's exactly what the Alter Rebbe wants to say. That's exactly the Chiddush over here. You see, without the Baal Shem Tov, you would just think that Hashem, you would know. Like we read Bereshus until now. How did we read Bereshus until now? Before we learned Tanya. It only says ten utterances. I, what about everything else that exists? So you know, when Hashem says, Yishutsu Amayim, without Hasidus, Hashem says, let the water be filled with creepy crawly creatures, right? Yishutsu Amayim, the water should be filled with all sorts of things. So until Hasidus, before Tanya, you believe that it's a general utterance and then presto, everything just snapped into existence. You just believe that Hashem said, let there be, let the world, let there, the, you know, let there be animals. And poof, there were millions of animals. But the question is now, now that we're learning that what is actually the utterances, what are, what is God's speech, it becomes every particular creature. It is what everything is. Literally, Hashem's speech becomes every particular creature that exists, every leaf on the tree and every ant. So now the question is, so then there, there has to be more than, than ten utterances. Without Hasidus, you understand that the ten utterances is Hashem just saying, let there be a world and poof, the world comes into existence. But now that the Baal Shem Tov is saying that no, that's not what that's not what the ten utterances are. The ten utterances is how everything receives their vitality to come into existence. That everything is God's speech. Everything is God saying it should exist. So then, seemingly, you need it to, that there needs to be billions and trillions of utterances of mamaris. There has to be an, a life force. That's what he keeps saying again and again. The Baal Shem Tev's Chiddush is that the speech of God is the life force that's enclosed in every particular thing. The Memale Kol Almen. 
Mimale kol almond fills all worlds. It's that light, God's light fills the world and is able to permeate reality and permeate every particular thing. So if that's the case, that's what God's utterances are. So then there has to be an utterance for every particular thing that exists. And to make it more clear and also more geschmack, I'll tell you an idea, the way the Lubavitch Rebbe explained this idea a little better. So the truth is that in Pirkei Ovis, we're learning this time between Pesach and, uh, um, and Shavuos, the custom is to learn Pirkei Ovis. So in the fifth chapter of Pirkei Ovis, the fifth chapter, Perak Hay, the first mission in the fifth chapter of Pirkei Ovis. So Chazal asks a question a different way, a different direction. The Alter Rebbe is asking, how are there just ten utterances? Seemingly there should be trillions of utterances, right? In Pirkei Ovis, Chazal, the sages ask the question opposite. The sages ask the question in the opposite direction. The sages say like this, let's learn the Mishnah, that, let's learn that Mishnah in Pirkei Ovis. The Mishnah says, with ten utterances, God created the world. Ask Chazal, v'haloi b'maymer echad yochali barois. The, the sages ask the question in a different direction. Seemingly, God could have created the world with just one utterance. Hashem could have just said, let there be a world. Right? And as, what, what it, without getting into Kabbalah and Chesidus, the, the Mishnah makes, the, the, the whole thing makes no sense. Why are there ten utterances? Let, let Hashem just say, let there be a world. Why does there have to be ten? Yeah? Without Chesidus. But and couldn't you ask the same? Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Couldn't you ask the same question about the about the Alter Rebbe asking how all of that, um, like all the levels of Tzimtzumim, like couldn't Hashem make it that it's not like His light is so gigantic that it needs to come into all of these objects? I'm not sure what you're asking. What before what you said was was that that the, just the reason why it has to be so mitzamtzam is because God's light is so gigantic that if it, it couldn't fit into the kalim of the rock, so it has to go into all of these things. But couldn't Hashem? That's also just Hashem's will. That question, that question that Hashem could have done it, you know, with with that, with, just because He could do anything. That question you could ask on all of Kabbalah and Chassidus. But right. isn't that the same thing? If he could have cre- he could have had one statement that created the whole world. Yeah. So that. So so what? what so so let, let 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 me finish saying this idea. Maybe it'll be more clear. Okay. In other words, that that's exactly. No, it's not the same question. Let's. The question of whenever Kabbalah says, let's say when Kabbalah says, why did God, uh, God had to do tzimtzum? Because if God didn't do tzimtzum, then it, w- it wouldn't be able to exist. And you say, well, God could do anything. That question is the basis, the, is, the whole Kabbalah and Chassidus doesn't make sense with that question. Because all of Kabbalah and Chassidus is based on the fact that God is doing it in a way that we could understand. And that is exactly what the Torah revealed, that when God is manifesting and God is creating the world, He does it in a way we could understand. That's why we're able to learn about it. So you could always ask, well, God could have done anything. So, so but the, 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 the original condition to be able to learn Kabbalah and Hasidus is to understand that God created the world in a way that we can perceive that we can have an understanding of. He did put his light in a systematic way that we could understand. 
So that's to answer your question. But now Chazal is saying sort of like your question, which is, so wait, so why did God have to have 10 utterances? In other words, without getting into this answer, Chazal is just saying on a, on a simple level, what's with 10? Just let him say, let there be a world. And then everything will come into existence. So Chazal answer like this. Chazal say like, this is, this is the, the Mishnah in Pirkei Ovis in chapter 5. Why the ten utterances the world were created? Why does there have to be ten? God could have created the world with just one utterance. So Chazal's like this, you know why he created the world with ten utterances? Even though he could have just done it with one. With just, you know, his magic, his magical power, he could have just had one utterance. So Chazal's like this, to give more reward to the righteous that are Mekayim, that are sustaining the world that was created with ten utterances, and to punish the wicked that are destroying a world that was created with ten utterances. Meaning that Chazal are saying that now that Hashem invested ten utterances in the world, He could have just created the world with one utterance, but He did it with ten. So now the world is worth more, so to speak. So now those that, that tzaddikim, that sustain the world, they get more reward, and the wicked that destroy the world, they get punished more. But the question is like this. Chassidus asks, let's say for a second, let's say you have a cup that's worth $1. You have a cup that everyone knows, objectively, a, a vessel, a cup that's worth $1. But the storekeeper is one of these, you know, a good businessman, and he sees that you really like the cup, and he says, I want $10 for the cup. And you pay $10 for something that everyone knows only costs $1. Then somebody else comes and breaks your cup. How much do they have to pay you? $1 or $10? In other words, everyone knows that the cup is really worth $1. But the merchant, the storekeeper wanted to, you know, he knows there's a sucker born every minute and he figured that you're the the sucker of the day and he charges you $10. And you knew it was worth $1, but you paid $10. And now somebody comes and breaks the cup. How much do they have to pay you? $1 or $10? Do they have to pay you what the cup's worth or what you actually paid for it? Obviously, they only have to pay you $1. Halachically. And also rationally. The cup is worth $1. I, you're an idiot. You paid $10 for it. Okay, that was your prerogative. But that other person's not at fault. The cup is worth one dollar. Yeah, like exactly like that one, Zev, right. So the question is, the Chsidis asks, so I don't understand. If God could have created the world with one utterance, so Chazal said, oh, you know why he created it with ten utterances? Because now those people that destroy the world, they're going to get punished a lot more. Why? If the world could have been created with one utterance, God only had to invest one utterance, one speech for the world to exist. He decided to invest 10. Why is anybody at fault for that? If it's the same world. The question is clear? And the answer is, obviously we see from here what Chazal are teaching us, the panemius, the inner way of reading the Mishnah, is that it's not the same world. It's not the same world whether it's one utterance or ten utterances. When it comes to the cup, whether you pay a dollar or ten dollars, it's the same thing. But the world now that's created with ten utterances, what Hasidus explains, what does that mean? 
It means exactly what you were asking. Seemingly, God could have created the world with one utterance, means he could have just said, presto, let the world come into existence. But then what would the world be? The world would be something other than God's light. That's what one utterance means. The inner meaning of what Chazal are saying is, why does Hashem have to contract His light? It's not, it's not ten utterances, really. Based on what we're learning in Tanya, Chazal are asking, why, does, why do we have to go through this all these tzimtzumim? Which, which I guess in another way is, is uh, it's another way of asking your question. Why do we have to go through all these tzimtzumim? Hashem could have just said, presto, let the world come into existence and everything will come into existence. Everything would come into being. The answer is, but now that Hashem created the world with ten utterances, which we're now learning, they also become condensed, etc. The world is a different world. It's not the same world anymore. The world now is Elokus. The world now is Hashem's contracted light. If it would have just been one utterance and Hashem would have been just soviv kol almen, what does one utterance mean? Hashem would be His infinite transcendent self and poof, the world would come into existence. But that would mean that the world is literally something other than Hashem. Now that Hashem is creating the world through ten utterances and all these tzimtzumim, all these contractions, the world is different. The world itself is Hashem's light. And so now the world is mamish elokus, is godliness. And, and whatever you're in, interacting with, you're interacting with godliness. So that's why the Baal Shem Tov, that's why Chesidus and Kabbalah are explaining, it's not just academic, whether God created the world with one utterance or ten utterance. It's not just an academic difference. It's a difference of what the world really is, how close you are to Hashem, how much Hashem fills your life. Clear? Alright, let's, let's read, let's read in, am, am I making myself clear? That's what the ten utterances do. It makes that now Hashem's light becomes the inner soul, and even more than the soul, like we learned, becomes what the world really is. That's what ten utterances mean. That's what the sages mean to say. That's the inner meaning of how to read it. Yeah? So let's read inside. Uh, and so, and so, therefore, they receive the life for us only when the light descends and is progressively diminished degree by degree by the substitutions until the life force can be condensed and enclosed and it can be brought forth from it a particular creature. And the name by which it is called in the holy tongue, as we learned that that's what it means, it's the holy tongue, the name by which every particular creature is called in the holy tongue is a vessel for the life force which has descended, meaning it's not, it's not just arbitrary that we call something by a name, but that is exactly how God's light is manifesting as this thing. It's a vessel for the life force condensed into the letters of that name, which has descended from the ten utterances of the Torah, that have power and vitality to create being ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means something from nothing. So this name that everything is called by is the vessel by which the life force descends from those ten utterances in the Torah and how God's light is descending. So the name that everything is called, the name that something is called by, is the way that God's light is manifesting to become that particular thing. The way that it is descended from the ten utterances in the Torah, they have power and vitality to create being ex nihilo, something from nothing, and give it life forever. For the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one. 
And that's how the Alter Rebbe ends the chapter with this idea that the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one. What does that have to do with anything? Why is the Alter Rebbe bringing in this idea over here that the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one? What does that have to do with anything? And the answer is because you seemingly could ask a question. If we're saying that God's light is descending from the ten utterances and, and, and God's light is descending from His infinite self, how does the light have the ability to create something from nothing? Only Hashem in His essence has the ability to create something from nothing. Once Hashem contracts Himself, seemingly He's quote-unquote leaving His essence. And only God in His essence has the ability to create something from nothing. So therefore, the Alter Rebbe brings this idea that the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one to stress that no matter how many contractions that the light goes down, because these ten utterances are in the Torah, the Torah is the conduit through which reality comes into being. And that's why, therefore, Torah, no matter how much Hashem's light descends and how many times it goes through contractions, Torah and Hashem are still one. And therefore, even the, the smallest entity that exists in the world, because it's getting its vitality from the ten utterances that are in the Torah, therefore, therefore, by definition, you're getting your vitality from Hashem's essence. It's not that the words, that the utterances become something other than God. They're always essentially united with God, just like Torah is essentially united with God. When we're saying that they're utterances that become enclosed in, in particular finite beings, that's not to say that they no longer have the power of Hashem. They still have the power of only Hashem, only one God that becomes and, and is giving vitality and life force to every particular thing that exists in the world. And the power to do that is through the Torah, because the ten utterances are written in the Torah. Ad Khan, chapter 1, is the Baal Shem Tov's teaching. Tomorrow, Mitzvah Shem, we're going to start chapter 2. And chapter 2 is where the Alter Rebbe now goes and he takes this idea of the Baal Shem Tov, which the Baal Shem Tov is just explaining based on the Pesach in Tehillim. And in chapter 2, the Alter Rebbe is now going to explain with Chabad, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain more rationally how we could understand this and how we understand this to be that that it has to be such a way. Right now we just know it by way of Amuna. The Baal Shem Tov said it and it's a Pesach in Tehillim, so we know it, that Hashem's light is contracting itself to become the created, every creating thing, and that's its name. Tomorrow, Mitzvah Hashem, we're going to learn in more in depth in a way of rational understanding. The Altar is going to explain this further. Any questions, comments, or witticisms before we stop? Have a quick question. Go ahead. Um, it seems like so. The, the main goal, one of the main goals, is to reveal the light that is enclosed in all these, all these, you know, klipas, all these, you know, coverings, because Hashem's R is in them, and we have to meditate on it and bring it out. So, if by meditating on it and seeing it in everything, in every cup, and every desk, and every single, we think we see Hashem's R, we kind of reveal that we we bring it out. So what I'm wondering, what is the difference when we do it via a mitzvah where we actually have to make a bracha on something, we have to shake a look, versus I can just look at that lulav, you know, just meditate on it and know it's it's God in that lulav. So that's a very good question. So the so the answer is that first of all, the meditation is a mitzvah because achdus Hashem is a mitzvah, right? Ha, ach, there is. A, 
but you could ask, so, so that is, the mitzvah is what gives the power to make a transformation in the world. That the Hashem is giving us that power. But let me ask you the question in a different way. Okay? Let me, let me be Jewish and I'll answer a question with a question. If every mitzvah is drawing Hashem, God, down to the world, so why do you need lulav and sukkah and matzah and tefillin and Shabbos candle and mikvah? Just have one mitzvah. Right? Just have one mitzvah and, and, and it's drawing God down to the world. So the truth is that that's a longer answer and I think I'm going to start with that tomorrow. We started today with your question. Tomorrow we'll start with it because that's, that's a longer answer and I want to get to it tomorrow, Mitzvah Because it's a really, it's, it's an important question. Why do you need, why, what's the idea of having, why do you need all these different mitzvahs if everything is just about drawing God down to the world? So have just one. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Any, any other quick questions, clarification questions or something? No? Okay. I just want to say yeah. that I don't necessarily feel like I was plugged into a, a, a power grid, but I feel like I was plugged into a Marshall stack. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I knew you would get it. All right, everyone. <laughs> See you tomorrow.